morning, Chapel Hill. Boy, Pastor Megan was right. There is an energy in this room. It's great. The best thing you can do for a preacher is sing well. You tee it up for me to to do my job when you do your worship job well. So thanks for that. I'm going to share with you an aphorism that you've heard on the playground. You can repeat it, uh, the second half of it. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But words can never harm me. Maybe you've spoken those words. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of those words. The problem is, it is not true. It is not true. You are absolutely right. It is not true. Words can be enormously painful, can't they? One philosopher once said, to speak of mere words is like speaking of mere dynamite. Uh, All of us have been on the receiving end of destructive words that have wounded us deeply more than sticks and stones ever could. But the converse is true, too. Words also have power to encourage, to inflate, to build up, to shape someone to be the person that they were created to be. And this is particularly true for young people, for kids, for teens. When you speak words of blessing into their lives, it's like planting little redwood seeds in their souls that are just going to take off. We're continuing in a series that we're calling For Our Kids. And I want to talk this morning about the power of words. And I'm going to admit something to you up front. You've heard this message before. Not this exact message, but something very much like it. You've even heard this text before. But I am so convinced of the power of this idea to shape young lives. It is one of those messages that I'm going to pound away on again and again and again. When parents, especially dads, because moms tend to be better at this than we are naturally, When we speak blessing into our children's lives, we unleash a power in them that is greater than any that we can even imagine. Our text that I'm going to be speaking from this morning comes from what I consider to be, and this is very thoughtfully considered, I'm not just saying this, I think it is perhaps the most undervalued story in the gospel, the most underappreciated, maybe the most unnoticed, amazing story in the gospel, and it's the transfiguration of Jesus. In no other place in the gospel, no other place does Jesus shine so spectacularly, and I mean that Literally, as you will see in the story, this is Jesus' greatest glory moment in his entire earthly ministry. And we get to take a peek at it, and in the midst of it, we listen as his heavenly Father speaks words of blessing over him. So I want you to turn to this great story, Matthew chapter 17, it's on page 822 in your pew Bibles, and let's join these disciples on the mountaintop with Jesus and the gang. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still blabbering when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, now speak to us again. We want to hear your words through your spirit, through your word again. Will you do that now? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, I think this is the most undervalued story in the gospel. There is no other account of Jesus in all of the gospel that exalts him as this one does. In no other place, including the resurrection, do we find Jesus literally shining. The angel in the tomb was shining, but Jesus wasn't shining. And yet, it mentions this phenomenon three times in this story in different ways. His face shone, his clothes were light. This is a glimpse of his divine glory. This is a glimpse of what Jesus looks like when he is in heaven. So he's exalted in his appearance. He's also exalted by the appearance of two of the greatest figures from the Old Testament to serve as attendants in this story. Moses, who's the giver of the law, and Elijah, who was considered the greatest of the prophets, they show up. And most of all, Jesus is exalted by the words of his heavenly Father. You know, the Greek language sometimes rearranges things, and I actually like the order of the Greek account of of God the Father's words about Jesus. Here's what it says in the Greek. This is my son, the beloved one, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is my son, the beloved one, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Everything in that short sentence exalts Jesus. For instance, even though there are the two greatest of Old Testament heroes standing right there, God the Father almost ignores them. He might as well ignore them. He doesn't say, these are my beloved sons with whom I am so well pleased. Nope. He disses Moses and Elijah. He just says, this one, this is my favorite. This is my son, my beloved one. And he exalts Jesus with this final words when he says, listen to him. I've always assumed that this was God basically saying to Peter, shut up. Stop blathering about building tents. And I actually think that's part of it. But the more I thought about it this week, the more I wondered, isn't God also saying, this is my son. In the midst of these two witnesses, this is my son who has the final word, the final say on all things. So if you want to know what Moses meant about the law, if you want to know what Elijah meant in his prophecies, don't ask them. Ask my boy. Listen to him. He has the final word. When Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he would often say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, That was really quite an audacious thing for him to say. He was claiming interpretive authority over all of the rabbis, all of the prophets, all of the teachers who had ever lived. He's saying, listen to me. I'll tell you exactly what this means. And of course, in this moment, his spiritual, his heavenly father agrees. He said, yeah, listen to him. He has the final word on everything. There's something else I love about this, just looking in the context of it. In the previous chapter, up in Caesarea Philippi, one of my favorite places in Israel, that was, that was Peter's greatest moment. This was his glory moment. Jesus said, who do, you, who do you say that I am? And Peter came out with a biggie. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It was Peter's shining moment. Now it's Jesus' shining moment. And the very next chapter, we hear the father confessing his 
confidence in who the son is. He's saying, yes, exactly. This is the Christ. This is my son. This is the beloved one. This is the exalted one. Listen to him. Never again in his earthly mission. Never again. Someday, but never again in the ministry when he was here, would Jesus be exalted in this way. Not even in his resurrection. You go back and read the resurrection accounts, they're actually kind of confusing. I mean, these people, they encounter the, the, the resurrected Jesus and, and it's a combination of fear and confusion and uncertainty and doubt and sometimes a little bit of worship. I mean, you couldn't even tell he was the resurrected one because he wasn't wearing his sparkly resurrection robe. So not even there. But in this moment, we get a glimpse of Jesus as we will all one day see him, we who love him. We will see him in heaven enthroned as lustrous and bright and spectacular and glorious. And we listen as dad says, and he is great. Peter never forgot this moment. In fact, later on, he actually wrote about it in one of his letters, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, here's what Peter wrote to the Christians who were scattered around the land. He said, we were eyewitnesses of Jesus' majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to this. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. He never forgot this moment. And I think it sustained him. Peter and James and John, I think they were invited onto that mountaintop for an encouraging glimpse of a glorious future because God knew the hard near future that was awaiting them. Each one of these guys was ultimately going to face uh, abuse, torture, and martyrdom. And in, I think this moment of glory, when they got a glimpse of Jesus in his glory, was what was going to anchor them, was going to hold them in their faith when they had to face their hardest moments of their lives. When Peter was crucified upside down. When James had his head chopped off. When John was put in a large bronze bowl and they tried to boil him alive in oil. This moment, don't you know this moment? They said, "Ah, I remember, and he's the one I will one day see. The transfiguration was an encouraging gift to the disciples, but not just the disciples. I think it was a gift to Jesus. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Jesus was about to head for Jerusalem. He was about to head to the cross. He was about to walk right into the arms of his killers. And the things that made it even harder was it wouldn't catch him by surprise. He knew exactly what he was coming into. I mean, that was the purpose of his coming. The cross was the plan all along. Jesus knew what was awaiting him. Now, how many of us, if we knew the the horrible day that was before us, wouldn't change course? Every one of us can think back to a day that, man, if we had known ahead of time what was coming, we would have said, I'm not going to do that. I think back about 15 years ago when I laced on some ice skates at an ice rink in Sun Valley. If I had known what was going to happen, I would have gone fly fishing that day. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. So how did he feel about that? Well, he was terrified. That might surprise us, but we know he was afraid. And 
and his fear, the, the, the anguish comes out in the prayers of Gethsemane. And so I think the Father in his mercy, in his love, he speaks to him for only the second time, the first time being over his baptism, for only the second time the Father speaks out audibly words of blessing and strength and encouragement so that his son can continue that for which he was called. And at a moment when the fate of all humanity hung in the balance. So here's the line I want you to hear. You've heard it before. I'm going to preach it again. If God the Father knew that his son Jesus needed to hear his audible blessing, his words of praise and affirmation to strengthen him to fulfill his calling, how much more do our sons and daughters need to hear those same words from us? If Jesus, the eternal Son of God, needed verbal encouragement to fulfill his destiny, how much more do our children need words of encouragement that will swell them and enable them and encourage them and make them shine like the sun? I want to remind you of the three parts of God's blessing over his son. It's so simple. This is my son, the beloved one, with whom I am well pleased. In other words, You belong to me. I love you. I am proud of you. You belong to me. I love you. I am proud of you. Say that nice and loud. Go. You belong to me. I love you. And I'm proud of you. I had a meeting with my life group, my men's group, this last Friday. It was a great turnout. And half of the men in my life group said that they had never heard those words from their fathers. Half of them said they had never heard those words. One man with tears welling up in his eyes said, the only time I ever heard my father say I love you was the day I left home to go to college. 18 squandered years with that kid's soul like a parched earth longing for the water to be poured into it. He has made something of himself. He's had a success in his life. He's had a success in family. And I said, did your father ever say he was proud of you? He said, not once. And by this time he's tearing, he's crying. So I reached over and I grabbed his arm and I said, well, let me tell you, I love you. I'm proud of you. And you have made something of your life. Parents, you cannot say these words enough to your kids. Your kids cannot hear these words enough. Every day, every night, lay your hands on them and repeat these words over and over again. You belong to me. I love you. I'm proud of you. If you don't live with them, if they aren't under your roof, you get on the telephone once in a while, call them up and say, I just want you to know... I'm so glad you belong to me. I love you. I'm so proud of you. These words have power. And they are part of the parenting arsenal that translates from childhood to the teenage years. You know, when our kids enter the teens, we start running out of ideas, parents, right? We start running out. The stuff that used to work doesn't work so much anymore. And it can be a rocky time. But even then, even when we feel like we are farthest from our kids, you can pronounce those powerful words. You can still say, you belong to me, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Even when they seem to be rejecting it, just grab them by the ears, you belong to me, I love you, I'm proud of you. And especially when you don't feel like it, you still pronounce that blessing. You belong to me, I love you, and I'm proud of you. These words have resurrection power. Resurrection power. They can raise up dead relationships 
and give them new life and hope. Every parent here should make a promise to themselves that they will not let a single day pass. If they've got a kid underneath their roof, they will not let a single day pass but what they pronounce these words over their children. And just to help you, we've got an insert that you've seen before. Take it home. Use it tonight, every night. As you put those kids down to bed, you pronounce blessing over them. Now, that's for the parents. Here's for the rest of you, because this sermon is for all of you. Every church parent ought to be speaking blessings over our kids. Church parents, every church grandparent ought to be speaking words of blessing over our kids. When kids are blessed by their parents, that's foundational. When kids are blessed by their church parents, that can be transformational, truly. You have no idea the power of your words of blessing over a child that doesn't live in your house, but it lives in this house with you. No idea. And I speak from personal experience. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. This is the Reverend Henry Wells. Some of you might remember Henry. He came on the occasion of my 25th anniversary as your pastor. He surprised us, surprised me. And, uh, and it was appropriate because I, I don't know that I ever had a greater ministry champion than I did in Henry Wells. He loved me. He was my champion. On January 1st of this year, Henry died. I lost one of my great champions. I met Henry when I interviewed for a youth position in Bakersfield down at, back in 1976. I know the dark ages for you guys. <laughs> there were people who were alive there. We drew co- had cars and everything. <laughs> and by the time, though, that I moved down to Bakersfield, Henry uh, had already taken a call elsewhere, so we really didn't know each other very well. But that fall, Henry was invited to come back to emcee this great church reunion that we always did in the Civic Arena. Uh, he was a very funny guy, and he, he was much beloved, so he was perfect for this job. And I was working with the kids, and he saw me leading this kid's choir and doing my thing. And at one point, b- backstage, I remember Henry pulled me aside and as all the festivities were going on. And I still remember standing right, by, right beside the, the curtains. And Henry said, you know, Mark, you have great ministry gifts. I think God has called you to be a pastor, and he's going to use you in some powerful ways. I was 19 years old. Not only had I no plans on being a pastor, I thought most of them were sissies. I didn't want to be a sissy for the rest of my life. I mean, I was doing the job because I liked working with kids and it was a fun way to work my way through college, but becoming a pastor, please, you'd have to drink tea and all. I mean, I'd, ah. And then this larger-than-life guy who barely knew me comes along and he speaks these words of blessing into me. That was 44 years ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And Henry continued to speak these words of blessing into my life. I would speak to him periodically on the phone. I called him only a few months ago because I knew he was not doing well. And once again, he did what he'd done every time. He said, I pray for you every day, Mark. And he said how proud he was of me. And he said uh, the great things he thought I was going to do in my future. I wanted to say, dude, I'm 63 years old. I don't have as much future as I have past. But he always believed there was still something great that was awaiting me. And what part of Henry's words on that autumn night in 1976, what part of those shaped my future? I have no idea. 
But I know that I have forgotten a lot of stuff in my life. And I've never forgotten that moment. I was forever marked by the words of praise spoken by this man who hardly knew me. Chapel Hill, part of being for our kids means taking responsibility for all of the little ones in this church that aren't ours. Because they are ours. That's what we mean when we make our baptismal vows as a congregation. We say, those kids, they belong to us too. Every one of them. I will be forever grateful for all of the adults in this church who knew and loved and blessed Rachel and Cooper. Especially in those times when things were strained and I needed to tap out. And every parent reaches a point where we need to tap out it. Boy, you hope you got someone who's going to back you up. And we had those people, men and women, who loved our kids and spoke into their lives, often in ways that we could not at that moment. I will be forever grateful for that. Hear me on this. One of the travesties about modern church culture is church hopping. We have little church bunnies that hop from place to place to place. There are folks who treat church like a consumer product. And so they hop, hop, hop around to the newest thing, the coolest thing, the greatest thing, blah, blah, blah. And when you do that, you do so at great loss. Because if you are a hopper, you never settle in for the long haul. You never have the opportunity to be known and loved and leaned into. And it is especially true for your kids. But oh, To be in a place where your kids are known and loved and raised up and patted on the head and hugged and adored and trained. It is such a gift and you don't even know how great a gift it can be until you've been there for a while. Last week I was talking to Wani Pierce and she was in our gathering place. Most of you don't know Wani, but Wani and Roger, they're among those rare birds. They go back, they're BM, they're before Mark. They, They go back... When I arrived in 87, they were still, they were already here. And they raised up their two sons here, Chad and Josh. A few years back, Josh, who was 37 at the time, died of a brain tumor, leaving behind his his wife and his kids. And it was an enormously painful time for our whole church family. Wani told me that she's putting together a memory book for her grandchildren. She wants them to remember Josh and to remember this part of his life. And so she said as she was going through her mementos, she was struck again and again by how many times uh, she found evidence of Chapel Hill and the role that this church played in her kids' lives. Tearfully, she told me, I am your number one champion for this series on being for our kids because Chapel Hill was for our kids. They raised our boys. They taught our boys the faith. They taught our boys how to live. I'm so grateful, she said. And so we hugged. And then I walked back towards the door to go up to the office. I was clear across the gathering place when Wani called back out to me. And she said, Mark, Chapel Hill also taught my son how to die. It was the most profound thing I think I've ever heard from someone. Chapel Hill taught my son how to die. And of course, we hope that Sunday school and youth group will prepare our kids for life. Will fit our kids to be disciples of Jesus in their families, in their careers, in their relationships, in the church, in the world. We want to teach our kids how to live. 
But more importantly, we are also called to teach our children how to die. To teach them that there's more than this life. To teach them that the few years that we have out of this earth are nothing compared to the eternity we will spend when we have breathed our last year. To teach them that it's Jesus whose death and resurrection has opened the door from death to life again. To teach them that Jesus has the final word in their lives too. It is our high and holy calling as a church family to teach our children of all ages how to live and how to die. That's what's at stake here. The words that we speak in, to the kids in our lives and in our pews and in the hallways and stealing the donuts ahead of us in line and all of those places in the church, the words we speak of belonging and love and praise, these words imprint themselves on the souls of our children. And Wani, bless her heart, is doing her part to carry on this legacy. She has befriended a young woman who lost her mom many years ago. And every week, Wani will text this young woman and tell her how proud her mom would have been of her and ask her how she can pray for her two kids. She is speaking blessing into those lives of the next generation. So how is God calling you to do this? How is God calling you to speak blessing into the lives of our kids? Do you know our Sunday school program is burgeoning? It is flourishing, growing, growing, growing. We need more small group leaders. Is that what God might be calling you to? This June, we're going to relaunch Vacation Bible School. We need about a million volunteers to make that work. Is that something that God might be calling to you? you to do? Or if it's hard for you to get out, hard for you to do some of these things, you got a phone, you know how to text. Maybe there's a young woman in your life that you could text words of praise, encouragement, and blessing to. Every one of us can do it. You belong to me. I love you. And I'm proud of you. Every child of every age needs to hear those words, longs to hear those words, and can be transformed by the power of those words. Would you close your eyes for a moment? I just want you to